The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world. And we look at what's going on in the world from the perspective of our Catholic values. And this week, uh, we have two very, very interesting guests that Tom Dobbins has lined up for us. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Mike Carrata, who is uh, a religious educator, and he's going to be speaking to us about something that has been pretty much uh, more recently a topic that has kind of moved into the mainstream is um, is trauma and how do we deal with uh, those who have experienced trauma. And I think I'm delighted because his take on it is going to be, how do we work that into the lives of our, the life of our, our parishes? So I think that's a very interesting um, conversation that we're going to have. I'm very much looking forward to it. And then in our second segment, we're going to have a conversation with Professor Charlie Camosi, who taught for a number of years at uh, Fordham University. He's now at the Creighton University School of Medicine. He's also doing some work with the Archdiocese of New York. And we're going to speak with him as we kind of get near to um, election day, or probably on top of election day and with early voting about some of the concept of justice and our Catholic vision of how we participate in the in the common good. So anyway, so that's kind of what we have coming up on our show to today. Hey, Tom, um, how are you doing? Are you a early voter, absentee voter, election day voter? <laughs> what do you- I do. I'm still old school. I like to go on election day. I just, it, it's just, it's what I, it's what I got used to, you know, I mean, um, I, uh, I like to go over uh, and, uh, you know, albums, you go in, you fill in your little dots I still miss when senior the old election machines that you'd be able to pull the curtain, you'd pull the lever and the curtain would close and you'd be able yep. to push the levers like that still is my quintessential voting method. But uh, but I'm still like uh, I'm still like an election day guy unless, you know, I had something else that for, you know didn't allow me to do that. Like if you like if you had to go shopping at TJ Maxx and then I would do the early vote. Right. That's true. That's true. So, uh, but uh, anyway, so um, uh, so let me tell you, I got a little complaint. <laughs> exactly I, have a, right. exactly. I have a complaint about early uh, early voting. OK, in New York City. So we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have generally done early voting in the past few years only because it seemed to be a little bit easier. I could kind of figure out what I was going to fit it in, et cetera. But a couple of things I don't like about early voting and, you know, with all the conversation we've had, about uh, voter participation, voter suppression, laws that maybe are making it more difficult to vote or laws that are making it easier to vote, which might be some claim, uh, make our election system less safe, all of that conversation. I just want to kind of put in a little bit of a complaint about what I've experienced here in New York City. So Mm -hmm. what I've experienced is, first of all, that Early voting isn't at the same place where I usually vote, you know, where voting day. So Mm -hmm. actually, the first time I did early voting, uh, me, you know, not paying much attention, I said, okay, so I'm going to go down where I usually, usually vote and I'll go there, blah, blah, blah. And just for the heck of it, I kind of went online and I just was checking out the hours. And then I noticed that it wasn't even in the same place. 
Mm. And so I did a little more exploring and I said, yeah, that's right. So I wound up going to the right place, but I, but I could have gone to the wrong place because, you know, I, I just assumed, and again, right. I, I fully admit, maybe I should have paid more attention, but, but to me, that's a little bit confusing. And, and I mean, I do understand why it is, but I, I still think it's a little confusing. Now, my next complaint is, next complaint is that for the past few years, um, the early voting place in my neighborhood was, you know, I had to go a little bit away, but it was okay. But it was in kind of in the neighborhood, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit away. But then all of a sudden this year they changed it and they put it. And for those of you in other parts of the country may not, are not going to appreciate this, but they put it way on the other side of Manhattan, which made it so oh. much more difficult to oh. get to. They hit it. And I'm using that word a little bit tongue in cheek. They hid it on the fourth floor of a building. And <laughs> I mean, now there were signs. So I, I, I don't want to go overboard. There were signs. But you really had to kind of find it. Now, I will confess the thing I was a little bit disappointed in. In the lobby of the building, there was a wonderful party going on because I went after work. There was a wonderful party for some company that was having some <laughs> type of party. But they wouldn't let those of us voting go to the party. They ushered us to the escalator that was going to it. I there was some great pizza there. There was some other hors d'oeuvres there. I was all set. I was going to give up my voting if they were going to go to the party. But anyway, so, oh, my so anyway, that's, so that's, that's my little experience of, of kind of uh, kind of. But I like early voting; it gives me some options, etc., etc., etc. So anyway, we may get into a little bit of that with our second guest, uh, Professor Charlie Camosi. But let's now go to our first guest, Dr. Mike Carada, who is uh, at Creighton University. And we're going to discuss with him uh, the issue of trauma, which has come up a whole lot. So, um, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Karada, thank you so much for joining us on Just Love. Hey, well, thank you. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. How about you? Are you are you out in near Creighton University? No, we just moved. Uh, moved to Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. Okay. So since you began that way, Mike, give our listeners just a little bit of a sense of how, a little bit of your history. So they get to at least know you by voice and a little bit of how you wound up uh, doing what you're doing now. So sure. So I've been in catechetics and church work all my life. So everything related to faith formation and Catholic education, that's kind of the stuff I've been doing. But for the last six years, I took a job as the Catholic guy at the American Bible Society. Okay. <clears throat> and um, one of the things I got... I'm, I'm just going to say, hold on for a second, Mike. I know a little bit about the uh, American Bible Society. So did you take Mario Paredes' place? I did. Oh, okay. I okay. did. Yep. And so um, the Bible Society had two wonderful, well-thought-out trauma resources. Okay. And I got involved in trying to tweak them for Catholic use. Okay. Worked really hard. One of them was uh, related to the trauma of the incarcerated, right? And the other was for the general public. And we did a whole, I did a whole lot. And I worked with the Catholic Prison Ministry Coalition and we did some pilot trainings and da da da. Well, early on, I got the idea, something came to me and I thought, I I got an idea for one myself. 
Okay. So I went to the Bible Society twice and said, guys, I got this idea. And they were like, we're good with what we got. There's been a lot of thought put into it, a lot of money invested in it. I think we're okay. So at that point, I took it to Catholic Charities, and they said, yeah, we've been looking for this. We want to do something like this. And so I developed Wholehearted um, for them. So after a life of catechetics, I found myself uh, in trauma awareness. Okay, so so Mike, let me um, let me pursue this a little bit. I mean, I think generally, like uh, you know, common person, not somebody who's really embedded in it. I think we all now, and I I always get this wrong. Um, uh, I'm gonna get it wrong. P uh, post traumatic stress PTSD. I think we all kind of know those letters. And I think we usually kind of associated with soldiers who are coming back from war, whether it, you know, a generation right. ago, Vietnam, or more recently, the Middle East, right. Iraq, etc. But I mean, I do know that the that the term is much broader than than that. So yep. could you, you know, give our list since you're into religious education, could you kind of uh, give us the um the yeah. like four or five minute introduction yep. to trauma for our listeners. Sure. And it's a funny thing, you know, as a church guy, I did get my first degree in psych. So I kind of understand the language and I was able to sort of translate. And basically here's, here's the one-on-one. And I'm sure if there's any mental health pros listening to this, they're going to mm-hmm. roll their eyes and go get, help this guy out. He didn't know what the hell he's talking about. Hey, anyway. hey, Mike, let me tell you, I've gotten I've gotten by for all these years by simplifying theology to yeah. the extent theologians don't talk to me. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, um, so trauma, miss, we misunderstand trauma to think it, re, it, re, it refers to an event or a series of events. It really refers to the impact of, a, of one significant event or multiple events. So it's the impact on the individual that is really what is traumatic. And there are, you know, there's, there's all kinds of trauma. There's acute trauma that comes from a horrific situation, a car accident, a flood, you know, an assault, that kind of stuff. There's chronic trauma that simply refers to something that takes, it, it occurs over time. There's complex trauma, which is a variety of different events. There's an interesting thing called secondary trauma, which is the trauma you feel because you are close to someone else who is traumatized about something. So, for example, um, first responders. I mentioned correctional officers, same kind of thing. Um, And then there's also what, what we're so familiar with in terms of the military is moral trauma, where it stems from something you're involved in or you witness um, that's against your conscience. The effect of trauma is really, trauma really is about the effect. If you're traumatized, it's more than stressed. All right. Uh, The National Institute of Mental Health, for example, says you're going to have flashbacks or you have bad dreams or night terrors. You're going to certain situations or words or objects or visuals will trigger a re-experience of that trauma. You tend, you tend to avoid places or events or people or even objects. And this is where it gets interesting. When you start moving into that avoidance thing, what most people say about trauma is it quickly takes you to that place where you are isolating yourself out from other people. 
Mike, help Always me. feel tense or you're edgy or you're irritable, right? So you Mike, an angry outburst. Yeah. A sleep disturbance is yeah. a big common symptom. And so Mike, let me, let me, is, let me uh, again, uh, uh, the, that was great. I mean, it, it really, I think, clarified uh, a little bit. I think that is, that is great. Let me, let me ask you a little bit because you began to introduce it, where you said trauma is different than, than stress. And then you talked about secondary trauma. So let me, let me ask this question in a way which is maybe a little bit uh, provocative, okay? Um, and so please feel free to push back. Have we, are we moving in a common understanding that now everybody is traumatized because yeah. like we live in a bad world and like, is, are we now calling everything trauma and maybe we shouldn't? Yeah, legitimate question. I'm going I'm to stop that for a minute and rewind. I'm okay. old enough to know we did that with self-esteem. Okay. Back in the 80s, everything was, every ill in society and among people was low self-esteem. We realized that was false. Okay. And I've been worried, are we going to do the same thing here? To answer your question, <clears throat> yes and no. I'm sorry that's not a cop, but mental health pros roll their eyes and they go, everybody's using a phrase called trauma-informed. That implies you've been trained in trauma. I wish you would stop it. If, if you're going to say anything, say trauma aware. Okay. That's the first thing. Right. Um, I do think we have a, pen, a tendency to give everybody a diagnosis of some kind. Right. Um, but I think also trauma is legit. And the, the reason I say it's legit is because it shuts down some part of your brain. And that's for real. Right. That's been documented. You're not thinking clearly. You can't put together sentences. There's times when you can't get up and go to school or go to work. You're just stopped in your tracks. Right. So it, it is legit. Are we overusing it? Probably. Right. Right. Is there a relationship between trauma and depression? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so let me, let's go a little bit further because I, I think what I'm really intrigued about is the work you've done uh, with Catholic Charities USA and, um, right. and the parish issue. So yep. how, how do you see kind of wholehearted, which is, I guess, the, the title you've given for the parish-based trauma right. resource? How do you see this being dealt with in, in a parish? And I know in yep. the United States, we have you know, probably seven or eight different types of parishes and probably right. plays out differently. But but say a little bit about how you see it working in a parish. Yeah. First of all, let's be real clear. This is not a this is not a clinical intervention. Right. Think more like wellness seminar. OK. But it's designed to help people become aware of trauma, reflect on their own experience of trauma and be introduced to some ways we can tap into our spirituality for renewal and restoration. So it's four sessions, an hour each. A parish can do it on a Sunday afternoon. They can do it virtually. I'm making this up every Tuesday night. Right. And by the way, when this stuff gets done virtually, the mental health people are, are really pleasantly surprised with their own programs and saying, you know, we didn't know if, people would participate in Zoom gatherings. And there's something about the Zoom mode 
that people seem very comfortable with. I'm in my own space. Yeah. I'm looking at you on my screen. You're in your own space. Uh, I can participate as I like. So, Mike, so, Mike, let me let me interrupt you for a second because I want to, and I I, I fully just dis, my disclaimer, I am interrupting you because I want to draw a parallel to the work that we've experienced in Catholic charities. We have one of our agencies that that kind of focuses on the mental health and the emotional health of children. Right. And during the pandemic, and I'll, I'll use myself, I was at a meeting of that, and they were, we were looking at how things changed during the pandemic. And I looked at the number of counseling sessions that went on kind of in the first three or four months of the pandemic after the close down. And the numbers increased significantly. And I said, wait a minute, guys, you're not counting right. The place was closed down. And they said, ah, no, no. We right. were closed down, but we went to telecounseling. We went right. to Zoom. And to reinforce what you said is that the participation rate was much higher than it was otherwise. People, right. as you said, A, were more comfortable in their home, didn't have to, they didn't have to worry about childcare. They didn't have to worry about a lot of other things. And again, parenthetically, this is a clinical program. So it is, it is a clinical program. But I remember that same agency probably 10 years ago where the professionals there were saying, oh, no, no. we would never go to right. telehealth because right. that, that just doesn't work. Right. Now they're singing its praises. So, Mike, right. I apologize for interrupting, but I thought yep. there was a good parallel for our yep. listeners. Well, the other thing is this thing can, is a free download. Right. So an individual, a, a parish can put it in its bulletin. Right with a little bit of a blurb and people can sit in their own home and download the thing, go through it themselves. So in that case, it's not a, it's no longer a seminar. It's a workbook. Right. What I like about it is that people are saying, the reviewers are saying it's gentle. Right. It's quiet. Some things are over the top. Some things are bang, bang. This is really a gentle, um, you know, when you go to the dentist and, and the dental hygienist is going to clean your teeth, you hope they have soft hands. Right. This is the same thing. It's got a okay. soft hand uh, tone to it. And the guy at Catholic Charities, Elias, who designed it, he designed it in such a way where it's got a lot of white space. It's a quiet resource and it should be. Right. Right. Uh, does it, I, I, I assume from what you said, it maybe can used, be used in a variety of, of ways. Yeah. Is, there a, is there a version of it that is facilitated? To encourage yeah, this, discussion. It, yeah. See, this comes with a simple facilitator's guide. Right. And by the way, Monsignor, this is one of the things I really like is that I think this thing is going to be facilitated by a different group of people who normally sign up to do stuff in our parish. Right. So when you think about the formation stuff we do, right. it's always catechists, religious ed, DREs, et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera, right? RCI. I think there are people who say, no, nah, I'm not comfortable with that. But I would be comfortable facilitating something like this. So right. I see it as a way of generating more volunteers and increasing participation by the people who decide to, to lead this stuff. Yeah. That, so uh, it is, I assume, uh, you know, again, you talk about, which I think is a good distinction, which I will, you know, reiterate for our listeners there. When we're talking about trauma, we're not talking about something that happened. We're talking about the impact. Correct. of either something or some things that have happened um, on Correct. that. So I would assume that that some of it, 
could deal with grieving, could deal oh. with death. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Loss, death, disease, uh, betrayal, um, loss of jobs, uh, disasters, um, tragedies in your family, all that stuff, all of life's painful stuff, which FYI, the other thing is, here's Francis saying, you know, we really need to be into accompaniment. Right. And I'm saying this is a small good thing that is a concrete expression of accompaniment. And for parishes and dioceses that take on wholehearted, they're they're stepping up and saying, okay, we're going to move here. Here's my image. Give me a second with you. Sure. On one hand, we have all been about, as a church, proclamation, formation, evangelization, religious instruction. Fine. I've given my life to it. Got it. But on the other hand, here's a way for us to do accompaniment, where we just switch a question from, where is everybody? And we switch a question to, how can we better help our people? Right. And this is a way, this is what Francis is saying we should be doing. Right. So I see this as a concrete expression of accompaniment that not only serves the people well, it does good for us as a church to improve our relation with our people. Right. So um, you were very clear, which I think is very helpful because it, it, it's one of the things that I have said over the years to, to priests. And I say it about myself, even though I work in Catholic charities, I am very clear. I don't do counseling. Right. I am not a clinical social worker, et cetera. And very, very few pastoral ministers, whether they be clergy or whatever, or, or, or lay people are. So I strongly say, hey, stay out of that space. Exactly. Not, and I think people who want to help with the best of intentions, right. sometimes we need to kind of talk about boundaries. Right. But, but being be that as it may, um, are you familiar with, I think, I may get this entirely wrong, but I think it's called uh, Mental Health First Aid. No, I don't think so. Okay, what it is, is it's a program, it might not be called, I may have the name wrong. It's basically something akin to trauma that is in a number of places, which is trying to wa- raise people's awareness yeah. about mental health issues. Yeah. And and to be on the lookout. So part of it is, of mental health first aid, is having parents, people in the community, teachers, everybody be more aware of potential mental health issues in those whom they're interacting. So they might identify them. And if they're serious enough, then maybe can help the individual get the necessary help that they need. Is while what you're talking about here is raising awareness about trauma, is there a portion of it which encourages people if they become aware of a neighbor or family member to... Get them the help that may help them? Yeah, here's, here, yes. Here's the image. So you know when you got a sinus infection, you're not sure if you should go to the doctor, right. or you cut yourself and you're thinking, I don't know, do I need stitches? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Same thing with this. So when do you, wh- what are signs that you really need to go see a doctor, right? If, you're, if, if a person can't perform their daily tasks or they can't take care of their basic needs, right. the trauma is so severe, they should go see a doctor. Right. Likewise, your physical well-being is at risk or the well-being of the people you live with is at risk. Go see a doctor, right? Or you're hearing voices, go see a doctor. So there's a few things that are signs that, yeah, 
you need to take you need to take this wound, right. this sinus infection, this little cut. You need to go see a doc. It's serious. Okay. Is there is there is there room in in the program, or does it include the program? Like some ideas, how one might encourage somebody to get the help they need. Yeah, there's. It's pretty standard. It's make sure you first of all you have contact information on site or on online. Got it. So here's a list of, for example, here's a list of Catholic Catholic charity services and counselors you can reach out to tomorrow. Got it. Okay. That's a responsible thing to do. Mike, you have been so generous with your time, so clear, but give our listeners, if they want to learn more about it, or if somebody's, you know, in a parish and they want to take a bit, how do they get to know more about it? Yep. Um, they go to Catholic Charities website. The wholehearted can be downloaded at this website, www.ccusa.online forward slash wholehearted. Okay. And then you can go dash journal okay. and, get, and get the journal or dash guide. Okay. Uh, Catholic Charities is sending me to dioceses who, who, like I'm meeting with Louisville next week. Right. Um, if they want to contact somebody at Catholic Charities to make this happen, you would contact Scott Hurd. His okay. email is S-H-U-R-D Great. at Catholic Charities USA. So, Tom, we will make sure that we post all of that on our website so that uh, so that people can follow. Um, thank you so much. How, hey, how do you like your new home in Wilmington? I love it. Okay. I love it. Listen, though, I haven't figured out the fishing. It's driving me nuts. I'm trying to figure it out. Ah, where did you grow up? Where did you grow up? What's that? Did you you grow up in the Midwest? No, I was born in in Manhattan, baptized at St. Lucie's on 105th and 3rd Avenue. Ah, so so no wonder you're one of the few guests we have who do not have accents. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when I talk to you, I don't have an accent. (laughs) Dr. Mike Carada, who is visiting theology instructor at Creighton, who has been the chief developer of a trauma resource program with Catholic Charities USA called Wholehearted. We'll post the information about that on our website. Mike, thanks so much. And uh, please enjoy Wilmington and, and never develop uh, an accent. Thanks, Monsignor. God bless okay. you. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you for joining us for this first segment. Uh, Tom, I think we'll take a break and we'll be back in just a moment. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love, Just Do It. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world from the perspective of our Catholic values and our Catholic uh, teaching. Um, We just had a great conversation about uh, trauma and awareness of trauma and how that might even be used to make a parish more aware of that. You know, Tom, I did mention that uh, mental health first aid, and I probably don't have the entire title right, but it is a program that has been around in New York City for for a while. Um, I think it'd be good. Why don't we try to get a guest who can talk to us about that? Because I think it's a nice parallel to what we were talking about uh, with uh, with Dr. Karata. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it would be be good to kind of continue that that conversation um, and uh, see make our listeners a little bit more informed about what's go uh, what's going on in that area. Great. We, we will do months here. <laughs> okay, so let's go to our next guest. Our next guest is Professor Charles Charlie Camosi, who is now a professor of medical humanities at Creighton University School of Medicine, and he is also doing work with the Archdiocese of New York. Professor Camosi, thanks for taking the time to be with us on Just Love. Monsignor Sullivan, it's great to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Now, I know at least listeners can't figure this out, but it's always good that we guys with beards stick together. I am a little bit jealous because yours is no, not white and you do have a full head of hair. So I'm a little bit jealous Charlie, <laughs> about that. Um, but hey, Charlie, give our listeners, if you would, may I call you Charlie? Please. Charlie, give our listeners a little bit of your background. I mean, I know you're a professor and everything, but I don't think you came out of the womb as a professor. So give our, <laughs> give our listeners just a little bit of background, how you got to be this in this August professorial oh, gosh, place. Gosh, gosh, gosh. <laughs> well, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. I played flashlight tag in the corn with my siblings when I was a little kid. And um been Catholic schools my whole life. Did taught you fall into all of the lakes in Wisconsin? Yeah, yeah. Spent a lot of time by the lakes, up north, as we say, you know, our nasally vowels. Um, uh, My mom uh, was very very much a liberal, march on Washington against the Vietnam War. My dad was a businessman, very conservative. I grew up in a family that was divided that way, but had deep respect, actually, for both of them in very, very important ways. And and, um, Charlie, let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you for a second, because I'm of that generation and, and I think I think it's relevant to um to, to to our conversation later. I have the I have the honor on my resume of marching one year in favor of the war in Vietnam and another year against the war in Vietnam. Oh my God. So from the beginning of my life I am fickle. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you in which order I did it at the moment, but, but I can tell you it was in subsequent years that I marched on both sides of the issue. 
But anyway, what, what, what that says to me, though, is that you're a principled person. You're not just going to follow an ideology just to follow it. You're going to have the arguments and the evidence and your principles guide you. And that's that's who my parents were. That's who I think I am. That's what my um, my life as a moral theologian and bioethicist has been. It's been an attempt to try to say, you know, how does the church how does the church's teaching in the modern world work itself out? And my my very strong sense for a very long time is that it doesn't fit into a liberal camp. It doesn't fit into a conservative camp. In fact, the idea that a global small C Catholic vision would fit into any kind of U.S. political camp in any particular decade is just ridiculous. Um, but for 14 years, um, I've been at Fordham University. I was at Fordham University teaching moral theology there. But just this past year, I switched um, to teaching part-time at uh, the New York Seminary in Dunwoody and also at the Creighton University School of Medicine. I'm actually talking to you from the seminary right now. So. Oh, great. Um, so what, what, so give it, what, are you, what are you teaching at the seminary? What course? Well, in about 15 minutes, I'm going down to the guys and going to teach Catholic social th- teaching. So okay. that's, um, yeah, we're, we're looking uh, at Caritas and Veritate today from, from Benedict. So. Okay. That, um, that, that, that one's, we're not going to talk about that today on the show because that one, he pulled out all his theological roots. And that one, especially part one, is a little bit complicated to get mm-hmm. through. <laughs> Whether you're going up with Eros or down with Agape, <laughs> that one, that one's going around the mountain a few times. <laughs> um, but it's very interesting. He explicitly says what I love about that one. He explicitly says that the pro-life and social justice lungs of the church are, are breathing the same air. So, yeah. so we're, that's the thing I'm gonna try to emphasize to the guys in a few minutes. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you do that. What are you doing out in Creighton? Well, I'm um, teaching the first and second year medical students, both virtually and I fly out um, to do it as well. Um, yeah. And then I'm also teaching a few advanced practice nursing ethics courses, but totally virtually. So that's what I'm doing. Great. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for, for a little bit of the background and the history. So we got election day coming up and let me, let me allow you to do a little bit of, of, of non-clinical therapy with me. Okay. <laughs> uh, I am so depressed. I am really depressed at the state of, of, of American, whatever. I won't tell you who, but I got an email the other day from somebody who's pretty tuned into things who talked about the rot of the Republic. Now, I like the phrase, I probably don't like the vocabulary, but I'm just so discouraged by the state of, of, of uh, uh, you, you get my prejudice, the state of public non-discourse that we are currently in. And, and uh, so get me out of my depression. A little bit. <laughs> give, me, give me something to hope for. <laughs> Well, you you were part of an era that marched on Washington, right? And I I'm not. I'm Gen X. My parents were were part of that era. My sense is, at least looking back at the headlines from that time, is with presidents being assassinated, with MLK being assassinated, with the the horror of the of the um, the resistance to the civil rights era, to the Vietnam War, to just a culture in turmoil, right? Um, you know, I didn't live through it, but my sense is, and I try to impress my students upon this upon my students, especially when I was teaching undergrads, um, that that seemed to be a much worse time in terms of just the uh, 
the uh, the 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 violence, the the cultural ferment and and rancor, and just the culture that was really going through some massive changes. Now, I'm not trying to downplay what we're going right. through now, um, not at all. There are very yeah. serious problems, very serious challenges. Yeah. But but when we have reactions to to you know with fire hoses in reaction to 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 attempts to integrate schools to I mean we had one of my favorite moments is Archbishop Rummel in um in of uh, Louisiana uh, New Orleans Louisiana um, excommunicating uh, Catholic uh, school leaders who wouldn't integrate the schools down yeah. there right just a but but those are the situations we are dealing with here we have our problems with racism we have our problems with structural racism. But but it seems to me anyway that it was worse than and obviously if you go all the way back to like the Civil War it was worse right. than way worse than yeah. um, that this is you know that's bad... in, let, let me interrupt you for a second sure, sure. Charlie because that's interesting and again I mean I I lived through that and I myself have said something similar to that saying hey, this isn't the first time we've been very divided. When you live through something, I don't think you're a good judge whether what we've lived through in the past three, four, five years is worse than what I lived through 40 or 50 years ago. I'm not sure. And I'll tell you what my instinct tells me, but I'm not saying I'm right. My instinct is that this is worse now than then, but I could be wrong. And maybe it's just because I'm now old and decrepit and I'm seeing what's going on in the world. And, 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 you know, um, I, I don't know, but, but I think you're right. This is not the first time. And again, if we go back to the civil war with what was it over 2 million Americans were killed in that civil war, you know, we've had some, some, and reconstruction was bad. So, uh, so can, right. I, can I can I add one other thing here? I, I wonder I wonder if social media had existed during the Civil War or during the Civil Rights era, what that would have done with the algorithms designed yeah. to make everyone crazy and focus on extremely bad news all the time, cable news. I'll add yeah. to that. Um, the yeah. obsession, indeed, idolatry. I'd say fo- yeah. idolatrous focus on these things. Yeah. So I think that's part of it too. Is every single bad thing that happens uh, now is just amplified in ways that we can't, it couldn't have been imagined, obviously, in the 19th century, much less the 1960s. I, so think, I think that's also part of the story. Here. I think that is, 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 is part of the story. And I would suggest something else that is kind of sad from our Catholic perspective, but um, the diminution or the decrease of the practice of religion in American society I, this is my own kind of philosophical bias, which dismiss whatever, is kind of, we like transcendence, we like absolutes, we like stuff like that, we kind of moor it. So my, my hypothesis is, with the diminution of the practice of religion, we have now for enough people to make it so uncomfortable, we have now created the idolatry of politics and the idolatry of ideology. And so God is no longer at the center, but now either left-wing or right-wing politics has become the new worship, the new idol for, and I would say, and I'm not exaggerating, for probably millions, if not tens of millions of, of Americans. Oh, I, I, I just... Could not agree more with that. Um, 
and actually that gets me that's at once depressing but also maybe hopeful because one of the things that at least i see in the data is that you know the both the republican and democratic parties have really bad um ratings uh you know approval ratings mostly people vote against the party that they hate more than right. support of the party that they that they like right. so so one of the things that i see here is yes there's a kind of idolatry here in light of what you just said but but there's also a real hunger for a different kind of vision we're in the middle of a political realignment right now who would have thought we'd have the kind of candidates we have running the particular parties that we have right now in the midterm right. elections, for instance, whatever you think of Donald Trump, and I'm certainly not a fan, his candidacy has upset the apple cart. We have a oh. very, very different political scene than the one I grew up in in the, in the early 80s, mid 80s. It's totally different now. And what I see is is an actual hopeful um, time for the tr- fullness of the church's vision. Right. I call it pro-life 3.0. To, to kind of come in and again, both pro-life and social justice out of both lungs. It's one of the things I love about Catholic charities is that consistent ethic of life vision. Just going through and blowing into the scenario and say, we have, we, we have a different vision here. One that hasn't had a chance really based on the political idolatries of both parties for 40 years, 50 years now. We have actually a chance, a chance to actually be heard in this, in this environment. You know, we're speaking with uh, Professor Charles Camosi, who is Professor of Medical Humanities at Creighton University, also teaches at St. Joseph's Seminary in the Archdiocese of New York, previously taught at Fordham University for more than a decade. Um, So, Charlie, that is a, a good thing. But let me ask, though, how come that's not getting much traction? Well, I think part of it is we we still, you know, five decades is a long time. And a lot of the talking heads and the political game players and uh, those who hold power in our discourse right. uh, still have this, I think, 1980s model of what it means to be a Republican and what it means to be a Democrat. I don't think they've fully understood that we're in this new political moment. But actually, right. post-Dobbs in particular, right. Um, I think, I think, I know, in fact, there are a ton of pro-lifers. I talk to them every day, actually, right. um, who are interested, very interested in addressing the so-called demand side of abortion, the social justice right. side of abortion, of abortion to say, you know, there are people coming out of the woodwork now, Monsignor, who yeah. I would never have suspected saying, you know what, I, I guess if I would, if I had to choose, I'd be a pro-life Democrat, but I kind of support the Republican Party because, you right. know, of, of, uh, of, of Dobbs and, and, uh, and of, of the. So Charlie, the I, I, I know I'm not supposed to be terribly part I'm not, and I'm not, I mean, I, I tell everybody I've registered independent for the past, you know, 50 years or so, because a, I think it's the right thing to do, but B it, it's just the right thing to, but, but it does seem to me that, you know, what, what you're talking about it's harder and harder to make the case that you're making. And let me just take the issue of, of abortion. I mean, the issue of abortion, at least you used to be able to get some people to talk about abortion should be legal, safe, and rare. Now you can't get many people to even include that word rare because they see it as an oppressive position against a woman who wants to choose. So 
I guess I want to be optimistic, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, and again, how many of the people let's, let's pick on quote unquote, the other side, there are hundreds and hundreds of, of viable candidates who deny <laughs> the results of the last election. So right. again, I'm going to challenge you again. Give me some hope, please. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think, I mean, right now it's, it's difficult to see, but, yeah. but I think part of the, part of the thing that you probably couldn't have seen in the, in the, in the 60s, right, was, was where we'd end up, right? There were so yeah. many people on multiple sides. It was just a fight to the death. You know, there were people, you know, who would have ever thought that we'd have the kind of, you know, we'd settle where we have on civil rights and, um, but that is that has taken place, right? We ended up in a in a yeah. in a good place, and yeah. um, but it took a while to get there. And it, yeah. particularly in the midst of the fighting, the midst of the rancor, the midst of the vitriol, the midst of the fermentation, right? Um, you couldn't really see it. I think that's where we are. But, but let me give you a little bit of hope here. That's okay. concrete, more concrete. Um, <laughs> you know, we 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 have uh, Republicans saying we need to find a way to get paid family leave. You know, so far they're just kind of dipped in the toe in the water. They're saying, well, let's have people take some of their social security um, early uh, to do that. Um, Others are moving more in a more aggressive direction, but pro-lifers who have up until now only pushed Republicans to pass more abortion restrictions are now poised to say, we need to do more than that. And the Catholic church, uh, and this is where I love being Catholic is we don't have to, we can, I'm a, I'm a registered independent as well. We, we can play both sides of this, right? We don't have right. to be on one side or the other. We can say we support prenatal justice, but we also support, uh, you know, uh, paid family leave, equal pay for equal work. We pay right. for workers protections. We can even support, you know, massive child, um, um, uh, help for people with children so that they don't have to work if they don't want to. You know, one of right. the big structural problems in our culture is we've built into this um, into this economy a kind of two income trap where families think they have to have both parents working almost no matter what. So, right. so there's work to do as a Catholic church and as Catholics where we don't have an idolatrous focus on the right or the left, right. Um, but the fullness of the gospel again can can be our focus. Charlie, I know that uh, you have to go teach uh, Catholic social teaching in just a few minutes. So I know we only have you for another moment or two. Is there something that you'd like to kind of share with our listeners for the for the last couple of minutes? And and before you do that, I'm going to make sure that you at least commit that at some time you'll come back so we can continue the conversation. Yeah, 100 percent. Great. Um, One of the times I've been most called out um, in a helpful way. Uh, was after I wrote an article in the New York Times about the disaster of our nursing homes during the during right. the COVID crisis, during the worst of the COVID crisis, and I had um, uh, one of one of one of your guys write me and say, you know, Catholic Charities really does it right when it comes to nursing homes. <laughs> and as a Catholic boy, again, that I've told you growing up and being a Catholic my whole life, I should have thought about that, but yeah. I did my research and I just. One of the things that I've been focused on since the pandemic is is care for our elderly, and I just want to thank you and everyone at Catholic Charities for the great work you do in that in that space. It's been really, really, really important. Well, I think Charlie, I appreciate that, and it's you know it's the Catholic Church as a whole because religious communities have done tremendous work with the elderly. Um, Catholic healthcare systems have done tremendous work with the with the elderly, and um, it, I think it's, it, it, again, it is a commitment to the kind of continuum 
of, of life issues that, that are there. So, uh, so Charlie, thank you so much for joining us on Just Love. Go, teach the All seminarians right. well. <laughs> thank you. We'll see you soon. Professor Charles Camosi, who is a professor of medical humanities at Creighton University School of Medicine and also at St. Joseph's uh, Seminary in New York and doing other work with the Archdiocese of New York. Tom, I think we'll take a break and we'll be back in a moment. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be big act in a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just than it will be more compassionate. Um, we weekly talk about what's going on in the world through our Catholic social teaching perspective. Um, and this week we talked about trauma. We talked about um, how we apply our values in the public square. Hey, Tom, what was your take on the conversation about about trauma? Did you um, <clears throat> pick up any things that you thought were 
were kind of pretty valuable to pay attention to? I, I you know, I did, Monsignor. I mean, I think that, you know, the conversation, um, I first of all, I'm very excited. I think that the parish is a good place to have conversations about trauma-informed care. I thought your uh, question about whether everything is trauma today was was spot on. I mean, um, and I thought that actually um, that uh, Mike's response about self-esteem was kind of interesting too. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that trauma is an important issue. Um, and I know, you know, certainly there is many, you know, it's not until you scratch the surface with somebody sometimes you can meet someone and you don't necessarily know what their background is. And then when you find out what their story is, you kind of hear a little bit about the traumatic stories that they do have. So I thought that was kind of an interesting kind of area of the, the conversation you had. And I'm just excited CCUSA has invested in this. You know, I just yeah. think that's just great. No, I think that is, I think it is good. I think it's a good resource. Um, and I think, you know, us following up to kind of go to the related issue of how we make people more aware of, of mental health issues in, in general, I think that's a really good, um, uh, a good kind of follow up, uh, follow up to it. So what do you think about uh, Dr. Kamosi? And um, am I being overly pessimistic? Is he kind of <laughs> onto something? He's a little bit more optimistic about the current situation. He is optimistic, Monsieur. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm kind of between uh, your age and his age. Right. <laughs> so I'm kind of, so I'm a le- leaning a little more towards you. Right. I'm a little, I'm a little uh, less optimistic than uh, than uh, Charlie is, but I, I do think that you know there is a certain opportunity that we have uh, now um, that perhaps we didn't have before. I mean, and I, I'm, I'm appreciative of the fact that you know Charlie isn't, you know, he's in touch with people around the country who, uh, you know, are pro life, and uh, so he talks with them. So, um, you know, maybe he has uh, an insight to to the situation you know, that I don't have. So I'm actually very pleased to see that he's talking to people who are, uh, you know, not just interested in, let's say, you know, a legal end to abortion, but also to assisting uh, women um, who are in crisis pregnancy. I know crisis pregnancy centers are so essential to, you know, the credibility of of the pro-life movement and always have been. So I think if there's a way that now that the Dobbs decision is passed, that that could be augmented and made more robust. I think that that's better. So maybe he has more information than I do, Monsignor. That's what I say. So, Tom, I, I'm not sure we did. I mean, we may have, um, you know, you refresh my memory. You know, the the uh, kind of no labels movement that we have that, mm-hmm. that is going around there where there's a group of people who want to advance policy things without it being left, right, Republican, Democrat. I don't think we've had anybody on from that group on our show, have we? Not from No Labels Monsieur, no. Uh, we haven't had them on yet. Why don't we try to get somebody from from okay. that, you know, who's who's involved in that movement because I think it it could be um, I think that could be a very interesting thing. I mean, uh, it, it, it's gotten a little traction, but I'm not sure how much traction mm-hmm. it has it has gotten. So um, <clears throat> anyway, Tom, thanks for rounding up our guests. Um, just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and more compassionate. Please get out and vote. It's our responsibility to participate in the public square. It's an important way that we do it. Join us again next week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
You're listening to The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. 